Hello and welcome to Obiter Dicta, Bloomsbury Professionals podcast on all things law and tax with me, Rachel Sherlock and also Gronya McMahon. We're delighted to be back after our summer break and for today's episode we are joined by Stephen Spearin. Stephen is a practicing barrister with a general practice but also specializes in the areas of Wilson succession law, trusts and probate litigation. Today he joins us to talk about the growth of digital assets and their importance now in wills, the transmissibility of digital assets and the case of Banks v Goodfellow. We hope you enjoy this episode. Stephen, it's so lovely to have you back again on the podcast. You're very welcome. Could we start today in discussing what are digital assets? Uh, well, thanks for having me again today. Uh, the difficulty with digital assets is that um, there's no specific definition just as of yet. Um, many people have attempted to uh, describe them. Um, digital assets, most people will be able to hazard a guess that they might include social media accounts, or uh, email accounts, uh, blogs, um, and brands that might come to mind, for example, Instagram, Facebook, uh, maybe music or digital books, uh, digital photographs. I suppose the the easiest way to define digital assets would be that they are any files stored or generated on digital devices, um, and that's that's what they'd be treated as. So they're, they're a new species of asset, and in the context of inheritance and succession, digital assets would leave what we might describe as a digital footprint. And that's where difficulties arise, I suppose, in digital assets. And I think that's what we're going to be talking about today uh, for the most part. Great. And uh, you were saying that Instagram should even be something that you should potentially consider in a will. Could you explain, Stephen, the addition of digital assets to the will drafting checklist for practitioners? Well, I suppose in, in the context of Instagram, if we take that just for a moment, uh, everyone would, will be familiar with Instagram. That's a social media platform primarily for sharing photographic short video content. And one might assume that it doesn't have any monetary value given that it's just a collection of photographs. And that would be, for the most part, it's just a social media platform. But as we know, uh, influencers' um, primary source of income might be their Instagram account and in the context of um, estate planning or wills, that Instagram account will have a monetary value in the sense that it can be sold and with the price being dependent on how many followers are attached to that account. So it could become quite valuable if somebody has a million followers and it's a source of income for a particular person. So it would be silly to ignore that in the context of a will. So... When somebody comes to make a will in terms of, and a, and a solicitor or a legal practitioner is making a checklist in terms of drafting a will, ordinarily they would ask, well, what kind of assets do you own? And people might list their house and their bank accounts and insurance policies. Uh, but nowadays, given that we have lots of digital assets that can have some value, it's important that these digital assets are included and explored by the person who's who has this checklist. So you might ask, do they have balances held in online and online accounts? And I'm not just talking online bank accounts, for example, like Revolut, but we have Amazon seller accounts, eBay seller accounts. You might have some online betting accounts. So there's a whole variety of accounts where money might be stored, uh, which would certainly enhance the value of somebody's estate. So it's important when considering a will and the, check, the will checklist that 
all of these digital assets are explored and a full inventory and list of these is, is, is considered. And could you talk us through what are the difficulties surrounding these kinds of digital assets? Well, one of the primary difficulties is that these digital assets are intangible and that they're not an ordinary type of asset. They're, they're very new types of assets. They've only come into being in the last, I suppose, 20 years. And we're still trying to grapple the effect and, and what these are. In one sense, they're not actually assets. A lot of the time, they're, they're simply licenses or user agreements. And someone might think they have the, the ability to to gift these assets. That's That's something that may not be possible. So, I mean, I first took an interest in these digital assets about 15 years ago when there was conversation around whether somebody could gift their online music collection or their digital music collection that was downloaded or their their, their book, uh, digital uh, book collection that was downloaded. And it was discovered that these aren't actually assets that somebody owns. They're, they're more license agreements. So one of the main difficulties is to, is to decide whether it's an asset that a person owns or whether it's simply a license or user agreement further difficulties arise in the sense that these digital assets have no have the location of these digital assets isn't might be quite clear um so while given the example before if somebody has a a lucrative video account where they broadcast on youtube or, or tiktok in in north county dublin and they might assume that the asset therefore is located here the contract dual agreement might state that the asset is located wherever the parent company has its headquarters. Now, I know a lot of tech companies have their European headquarters here in Ireland, but it's important to look at the actual contractual agreement to see where the jurisdiction where this asset might be might be governed. So that's another difficulty with these with these digital assets. Um, the other difficulty is there's no regulation, particularly in Ireland, and certainly not in the EU either. And there is there is regulation in in the United States, and I think we're going to get to that slightly for, for later. But to, to summarise, the difficulties are that they're they're unregulated, they're intangible, and they're governed by very specific contractual agreements. And uh, I was interested. You mentioned there about people's collections of digital assets, such as books or music. But what about the people who are publishing those things? Could you speak to us about self-published novels or music online? Well, the internet has made it much easier for, for, for musicians or writers to self-publish novels or self-publish music and upload those art forms um, onto a website uh, for, for publishing. But the difficulty arises is that what does the online publishing agreement state? It may be the case that the online publishing agreement doesn't actually record the artist as the full owner of, of, of this um, so difficulties arise in that sense. And Stephen, would you talk to us about cryptocurrency, for example, Bitcoin in this space? Well, cryptocurrencies, they're a, form, a new form of digital assets, and they're even more complicated than your traditional digital asset, for example, a video or a photograph or a social media account, in that the value of these can fluctuate significantly. So they're very volatile assets. And one of the primary difficulties with these assets is accessing them. So they're very secure, uh, they're encrypted. Um, there's a variety of passwords and uh, keychains required uh, to access these assets. And the user agreement that may exist may limit access 
just to the actual owner of these assets and it may not facilitate, for example, that person's legal person represented from access, accessing that asset um, when, the, when the owner dies. The other difficulty around these is that the storage of these cryptocurrencies varies and they could be stored in uh, online uh, crypto exchanges, which then require their own access. So I suppose the main difficulty with cryptocurrency is, is accessing accessing them when the owner might have died that's very interesting and revolut has grown in popularity but you've spelled a warning to practitioners in terms of their place in wills could you tell us a little bit about revolut well revolut originally started out as a as a money transfer uh, application and it was as we know it's 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 very very convenient but revolut has grown in pretty much into a, a traditional bank that keeps its presence uh, solely online and doesn't have any branches but and, and, and I think only in the last six months Revolut have now introduced for example um, IBAN codes here in here in Ireland so it's almost replicates the traditional banking service um, but the difficulty is that a lot of people have started getting paid money into their Revolut accounts or for, you know their salaries or they might transfer or store a lot of money in Revolut for the purpose of saving. Um, and given that it's not a traditional bank um, in terms of accessing it, I'm not sure whether they have a specific department that deals with uh, deceased um, account holders. Uh, it creates difficulty uh, in terms of accessing these funds when the person dies. It's, it could be difficult to ascertain uh, the value of, of the money that's held in this account, given that a Revolut account could have a variety of currencies held in it. Um, some people might be quite secretive and keep a Revolut account for various reasons. So the, even the existence alone of this Revolut account may be uh, difficult to discover or ascertain. So Revolut is one of these uh, accounts. I think Revolut is quite popular here, but I think Venmo in the United States is another one that's quite popular. Uh, but the same difficulties would arise in the sense that it is difficult to as- access these accounts if you're not the actual account holder. Um, and we just don't know what way uh, these online service providers are going to deal with the legal person representative of the account holder when they die. And you've spoken already a bit about how there's a real lack of regulation, but could you give us maybe a little bit more information about that? In this jurisdiction, there's no regulation whatsoever, which I suppose is unsurprising given the, the, the relative newness of these assets. But one would have thought that on a European level there would have been some guidance or some regulation or some convention uh, that would regulate these types of assets given the, the significant monetary value that uh, they can have. Um, but that simply hasn't occurred. Um, it's becoming more and more urgent with the frequency uh, of uh, the use of digital assets, the introduction of digital assets. But even if domestic legislation was introduced, it's it's hard to see what effect this would have given the supranational nature of these assets and that it's a multi-jurisdictional issue as to where these assets are located or, or held or accessed. But at the same time, the United States have taken a step towards regulating these assets. So, for example, in Oklahoma, uh, they give a deceased executor a right to access specific online accounts. Uh, the state of Idaho allows deceased executors or personal representatives to access a wide range of digital assets. So, for example, including accounts on social networking sites and blogs. Um, but more, most, significant, most significantly, 
there has been legislative development um, with the introduction of an act called the Uniform Fiduciary Access to Digital Assets Act, which was released in 2015. And this is intended to give fiduciaries such as personal representatives, executors, trustees, the authority and ability to access uh, the deceased person's online accounts and in doing so to perform their basic legal duty to deal with and distribute the deceased estate. So that's something we might look towards given that it's been introduced in, in the United States. But the same difficulties um, apply. We just don't know how these online service providers are going to receive a request for, for such information. They, they vary from provider. The tech company Meta have have um, a legacy option for Facebook account holders. I'm not sure if that extends to Instagram holders, account holders, but certainly we need some kind of regulation at a European level to, to ascertain how these are regulated, how a person can access them, uh, so that all these digital assets don't just exist in the ether and, and um, you know float around the online sphere for eternity. Stephen, um, can you see some legislation coming down the track given the lack of regulation in this area? I mean, because it's, it's clear that we, we do need some regulation. It would be welcomed. I think there was a the Society of uh, Trust and Estate Practitioners did a survey with the Queen Mary University of London uh, and they published a report in 2021 entitled Digital Assets Call to Action, which examined the risks and challenges posed by digital assets. Um, and one of the key findings was the need for regulation, given that there's a wide variation of policies, practices and tools for dealing with a person's digital assets. And they said that law reform is needed to enable a person to, to effectively plan their estate and for those charged with the administration to be able to administer these assets with reference to regulation. So there is certainly a need for it. There's been a call for regulation. I'm really not sure what steps have been taken uh, by any of the person's or bodies responsible for it, but it's, it's certainly something that is needed. And uh, given that the United States have taken steps in the last um, five to six years, well, more than five to six years, I, I think we're certainly lagging behind, uh, particularly given that all of these tech companies have their headquarters here based in Ireland with the likes of Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, uh, TikTok have a presence. So, you know, it's, it's certainly something that I think our legislatures legislators need to, to, to look at. Could you talk to us a little bit about the transmissibility of digital assets? The transmissibility of assets, I suppose, comes up when somebody decides that, um, do I want to gift these digital assets? So in the traditional sense, one might want to give their collection of digital photos or they want to give their music collection. And so, so that would be the transmissibility of digital assets. But at the same time, digital assets don't fall to be considered just in that respect a personal representative might want to access these digital assets, not for the purpose of, of, of them being a gift, but maybe to, to actually close the account um, and not leave the account sitting idle for eternity. So, for example, the preference might be for someone's Facebook account or Instagram account to be, to be closed down. And that creates difficulties, the same difficulties that would apply in terms of deciding whether somebody wants to gift them or not. And that's accessing these accounts. And um, because, as we know, we're all encouraged to change our online passwords regularly. So I don't think there's any benefit in writing your passwords down because they're likely to change over time. But, you know, somebody might be concerned that they don't want their online social media platforms hanging around forever. And there might be a direction that these be closed down under that. But as I said, 
this could create difficulty with the person responsible accessing these accounts. So even while you might make an inventory of these accounts, it's difficult to know how the person you've given responsibility to, to look after them, how they might actually access them and close them down. So it's not purely about gifting digital assets, it's about their management. Lots to think about, Stephen. Um, you you referred to a motto which practitioners should take note of in this area, and that's die tidily. I suppose traditionally everyone should die tidily with respect of all of their assets, you know, their bank accounts, their insurance policies, their houses, their whatever they might own. Uh, but I think it's even more important, given the, the nature of digital assets and the, the lack of clarity surrounding them, is that if somebody has an online presence, whether it's a social media presence or whether they have a variety of online accounts that hold money uh, or cryptocurrency, at the very minimum, they should, they should uh, write a list of everything they own uh, and give that to the person who's going to be responsible for administering their estate. Uh, Die Tide, I suppose, makes it much easier for the person to know where to look, uh, know what to access, uh, and know what to do with all of these digital assets when the time comes. Um, as I said, I'm repeating myself here, but it seems that that would be the sensible thing to do and it would seem like the easy option, and it is the easy option, but the difficulties don't go away in terms of accessing these accounts with uh, passwords and the other various security details that one might need to access these accounts. Um, it's certainly not a good idea to write down these passwords, given that, as I said, we're encouraged to change our passwords regularly. So you might make a list of passwords, but then, of course, these could change over time. Um, and then there's the security issues uh, regarding recording passwords um, on paper. Of course, there is online services and websites that have a, like a password type blocker, but then even accessing this alone requires a password. So it's it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword, really. Um, but certainly, at the very minimum, a list should be recorded of all of your digital assets, whether that might be your social media accounts, monies held in online accounts like Revolut or uh, online betting accounts or whether you have a, a, an Amazon or eBay sellers account. But certainly, a list of all of these would, would certainly help. To just speak about the practicalities of including them in wills, for a document to be incorporated into a will and proved with it, two conditions must be satisfied. Can you tell us about that? Yes. Well, for, for solicitors and legal practitioners, the main thing to take away here as a preliminary step is not to include a list of these assets or passwords with the will. Uh, and that's to avoid documents be, being proven with the will and it becoming a public Documents. So the idea would be if you are making a list that is kept separate from the will and it's kept maybe in a sealed envelope. Um, but to, to, to answer your question, to, for a document to be incorporated into a will, so in the traditional sense, this might be a map uh, which describes a property. Two, two conditions must be satisfied. The document must be properly identified in the will. So for if, if you're giving a, a gift of property, you would make reference to the, the gift of property with reference to a map which is appended to the will. Uh, and identifying the property uh, marked as A and marked in a red line. And uh, this document, the map must, for example, in the instance, the map must exist at the time the will is executed. In the context of an inventory of your digital assets, you don't want this to happen. 
So you should make every effort not to include a list of digital assets anywhere near your will. If, if you're making a will with reference to your digital assets, uh, the will should primarily deal with how you want these digital assets uh, to be dealt with, whether they're by way of gift or a direction that the accounts be closed. But certainly don't make any reference to a list of these assets, uh, digital assets, um, to avoid the risk of that this list being made, being made a public document when the will is, is actually proved and a grant of probate issues. And the general guidelines in wills is important to follow when it comes to these digital assets. Could you talk us through these? I suppose the same principle applies to the gift of digital assets as to, to the gift of digital assets in that if you're going to be gifting digital assets as part of a residue, well, this creates a significant amount of difficulty. It might be easier to gift a digital assets as a specific, specific gift. So make a specific gift of your collection of photographs to a particular person or gift your balance held in an online account to a specific person. And this is to avoid the difficulties that could ensue if, if they're a residuary gift. The other difficulty is, is the jurisdictional or the multi-jurisdictional issue, uh, issue regarding digital assets. So in terms of the revocation clause, um, you, you just need to be careful that you're not revoking a, a will that might be dealing with assets in a, in a different jurisdiction. And then similarly, the in terms of executors, um, you might give a power to an executor to, to deal with the digital assets as if they themselves were the account holder. I think if, and I'm not sure how much credence an online service provider might give to this power, but certainly if it's not included in the will, you have nothing to fall back on. It certainly would strengthen an executor's position if there's a power record in the will, giving them uh, the power to, to access their, their digital assets and it's something that the digital uh, or the online service providers might consider when when uh, an access request is made. Moving then to digital assets in the context of probate litigation, could we focus on disputes between beneficiaries and personal representatives? Well, the first example I might give is that if a beneficiary in a will has been given a digital asset of value, of monetary value, they might take issue with the fact that the personal representative has delayed in, in gathering in or accessing this asset. For example, there could have been a, a significant fall in value. Um, I mentioned earlier, cryptocurrencies are very volatile. So a personal representative might expose themselves to liability for failing to uh, collect this asset in within a reasonable time or f- failing to, to, uh, to sell this asset. And could this personal representative be personally liable for the loss that might have incurred on the basis of the uh, disposed of the digital asset at an undervalue, or in fact, if they fail to recover them. So it's a very, very tricky area, and it's, I, I wouldn't like to be a personal representative having to deal with cryptocurrencies and given the risks involved. Um, but I suppose they can only do their best, and um, I think if they ask, act with reasonable diligence and expedience, then they, they might be forgiven. Certainly is tricky, Stephen. Would you mind talking us through testamentary capacity and the case of Banks versus Goodfellow? Well, well Banks v. Goodfellow is the very well-established test for a testamentary capacity and wouldn't mind, mightn't consider it in the context of digital assets. But to, just to recap, in terms of a test for a testamentary capacity, the person who's making their will must understand the nature and effect that they are making a will. They need to know uh, the extent and scope of the assets which they intend to dispose of. Uh, they need to be able to give consideration to any claims that might be made um, 
against their estate and, and they should not be impacted by any kind of cognitive, cognitive um, impairment. Um, but in the, context of, of, in the context of knowing the nature and extent of their, of their estate, um, this is why it's important to have a will checklist that incorporates digital assets. So when a, when a person making a will is asked, you know, what do you own or what, what are your possessions? They might ordinarily just consider their house and their bank accounts, but further investigation needs to be made in terms of do they hold monies in online accounts? Do they have a valuable social media account? Um, and if they fail to disclose those digital assets, well, it might be questioned whether they actually understood the nature and extent of their estate and therefore one of the tenets of the, the test mightn't be um, considered and, and there could be a question that, well, did the person have testamentary capacity if they didn't know the full nature and extent of their estate? So digital assets have to be now included in a person's entire estate to, to include all of your traditional assets like property and money and cash and insurance policy or, or whatever it might comprise. Um, so one mightn't consider that digital assets can have an impact on a person's capacity, but if they failed to disclose them, it might suggest that they didn't know the full nature of their estate and therefore they didn't have capacity. And then next is construction. What do practitioners need to be aware of here? Well, in terms of construction and, and construing a will clause, uh, difficulties might arise in the sense that uh, the terminology might be unclear or the phraseology might be incorrect or the description of the digital asset used in the will uh, might be ambiguous. Uh, and that can lead to a, a variety of, of difficulties in the sense that the person may not know the full extent of the digital assets that are, that are to be gifted or may not know um, which asset is to be gifted and which isn't. Um, so if somebody uses a very vague description of a digital asset or, or an online account, um, so for example, they say my the balance in my online, online account and the person has a variety of online accounts, well, that will create difficulties. So in terms of construction, like any gift, it's, it's hugely important that in making a gift of a digital asset that it's properly described um, and it's accurately described uh, with reference to the proper name of the asset and with reference to, to the actual account. And so will you talk to us through proper provision in context of digital assets? Well, traditionally proper provision occurs when um, a child of a testator makes a claim that um, their parent failed to make proper provision for them in their lifetime or in their will. So it might have been, they may have been given a small gift, which they are nothing at all, uh, and they may feel that they're hard done by and they, they obviously feel they're entitled to more. Um, so in the context of digital assets, a parent might have a very valuable cryptocurrency at one time and say, well, if I give that to my, my child, they'll be well uh, looked after. But then, as I said, these cryptocurrencies are hugely volatile. So by the time the gift comes to be uh, perfected uh, after the person's death, the, the cryptocurrency could fail to exist at all. And therefore, uh, the gift essentially will have lapsed um, and the child will have got nothing. So they might argue, well, the, the gift of the cryptocurrency was a, was a failure to make proper provision in that sense. Uh, it also occurs in, in relation to Section 121 of the Succession Act 1965, in terms of it, if, if, if a person has disposed of their digital assets in the three years prior to their death, this may be considered um, to be done for the purpose of disinheriting a child. 
So it, it, difficulty arises if a person has disposed of a digital asset in the three years prior to that. The, how is the legal personal, personal representative supposed to recover this, given that we already know there's difficulties surrounding accessing digital assets, particularly in the, in the context of cryptocurrencies? So these assets may, even though they may have been, a court might decide that these were these dispositions were made for the purpose of disinheriting a child, may be very difficult to actually recover these assets. Thanks, Stephen. There's certainly a lot to think about um, in this area. There are other matters, though, such as applications for directions and donation mortis causa. Could you explain that? Well, in terms of directions, given the uncertainty surrounding these digital assets and, and the difficulties that exist with accessing these digital assets, a personal representative might be justified in making an application uh, to court directing an online service provider to facilitate access to a particular account for the purpose of administering a state. So, so that's how I see directions in that respect. Donatio Mortis Causa is more simply known as a deathbed gift. So, so a gift made, uh, you know, when someone is, is very near death. And this might arise if, if a person gives a loved one their laptop, which could have a significant amount of digital assets on it or, is, or access to all of these digital assets on it. And the question might arise as to whether the, the gift of the laptop is a gift of the assets contained on it or simply what it was, it was, a, it was given to the person for safe keep, safekeeping. So litigation might arise in, in that context as well. And finally, you have a word of warning for practitioners. The, the word of warning for practitioners is not to ignore digital assets. I know they're complicated. I know accessing these digital assets may be difficult and the easy option may be to simply ignore them and just hopefully it will all work out in the end. But the very, the very easy thing to do, and I've, we mentioned earlier, is to die tidy. So at least the very minimum, ensure that a person makes, makes a list of all of the digital assets that they might own. And digital assets, can, as I said, can be a variety of things. They can be a collection of on, uh, online photographs. They can be a collection, it can be a collection of digital music the collection of, of uh, self-published novels online. It can be a valuable social media account, uh, for example, a TikTok channel or a YouTube channel or Instagram. It can be balances held in online betting accounts, Amazon or eBay seller accounts. So it's really important that if you're making a will or you're tasked with making a will for a person, that you ask them all the right questions and ensure that they know the full extent of the assets that they own. So when their time comes and the person who's responsible for administering their estate, at least it's a starting point for them to to go and try and gather in all of these assets and make efforts to try and decide how these assets are going to be dealt with. Stephen, it's been as insightful as ever. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we really appreciate it. And it's definitely uh, an area of law that I've learned more about today. So thank you very much. Thank you very much. That's it for another episode of Obiter Dicta. Thanks to Stephen Spearin for joining us today. You can access Stephen's Wills and Probate update on our Irish Wills and Probate online service. Register for a free trial today on bloomsburyprofessional.com. Thanks for listening.